If I were God, I'm not sure I would have chosen me. Have you ever felt like that? We all have those kinds of thoughts. Some of us just don't want to admit it. But God is in the business of devising ways to bring us back when we've blown it, or we've taken a wrong turn or said the wrong thing or quit too early or just didn't perform up to our own expectations. When you're tempted to doubt your ability to be used by God, remember his creativity. He's looking for unusual candidates to change their world. Who knows? It might just be you. Stranger things have happened, you know. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus or on the internet, maybe at one of the venues uh, here in uh, Mount Pleasant. We're glad that you guys are along too. How many of you are happy that fall has returned to the low country? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of awesome. This is why we live here. It's right now. How many of you are also glad you don't measure your joy by whether your football team wins or loses? Okay? All right, good. Enough said. All right. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever watched God use someone else and felt like God could never use you like that? Maybe, maybe it's something that you're doing, you know, and you see somebody else doing it. They just seem like they do it so much better than you. And you go, wow, I, why, why even bother? Or it could be, you know, it's just you feel like you're sitting on the sidelines for whatever reason and you see somebody else that seems to be flourishing, you know, maybe in their growth in the Lord, maybe in the ministry that God has given them or whatever it happens to be. And you go, you know, God could never use me like that. You know, it might be because maybe you don't feel gifted and talented enough. You go, boy, she gets all the gifts, you know, and I kind of, I'm just kind of ordinary. I don't see God ever really using me in that great of a way. Or, or maybe there's something in your past, you know, and you feel, oh man, how could God ever look past that? You think maybe God will never use, use you to, or do something significant through you. Never felt like that. I think we all have those thoughts from time to time. I, I do, at least. I'll be honest with you. Every time I flip on the TV and I hear a guy like T.D. Jakes preaching, that's how I... Have you ever seen that guy? I mean, he brings it, you know, it's T.D. Jakes. It's just, it's incredible. And he sweats. <laughs> I never move around enough to sweat. The only time I sweat is when I tell what I think is going to be a funny story and nobody laughs and then I start sweating, you know, and it's just not the right thing at all. In fact, last week, two weeks ago I think it was or whenever, I spoke at the Dream Center in L.A. And it's kind of where we got the inspiration for our Dream Center. It's just an incredibly inspiring place. It's in an old hospital in a rundown part of Los Angeles. And what they do is every Thursday night they have... um, a gathering in the old Angelus Temple, uh, one of the first kind of mega churches uh, in America. Amy Simple McPherson used to preach there, and it seats several thousand people. And it it kind of dwindled down to a couple hundred people until Matthew Barnett went there a few years ago, and they began to minister to the neighborhood. So every Thursday night, they have a, a service, and a couple thousand people in the in the uh, Angelus Temple, and they invite speakers from you know all over the United States to come. 
And they have a reason for doing that because they know that when you come and they make you do a tour of the Dream Center, it will wreck you. It will shatter your heart. They know they're gonna, that you're going to give them some money to support what they're go- going on. You know? So they're real, real sharp with this deal. But anyway, so they, they bring speakers from all over. So I'm there a couple of weeks ago, and one of my kids, I won't use their name, uh, initials are Josh. And <laughs> he says, so he's with me, and he says, before I speak, he says, Dad, did you see who spoke here last Thursday? And I said, no, I didn't. And so he tells me who, and it's one of these guys. I mean, he speaks at conferences, and it just brings the place down. He's just incredible, and he sweats. You know, I mean, it's just, just you know, just, oh, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so Josh turns to me and says, you know, you think they'll be a little disappointed this week? And I was like, come on. It's like cut him out of the inheritance. But anyway... Wish there isn't any yet, but maybe there will be someday. You know, you think those, you know, I, I think, you know, I've made mistakes in my life. Or every time I go to swing for the fence on something I think God's called me to do, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of every wrong thing I've ever done. I have these voices that go, you're not worthy. What are you thinking about? Who do you think you are? Remember last time you tried that? How'd that work out for you, you know? Maybe God got it wrong when he chose you. We're going to study a guy named Gideon today. And um, you go, uh, is he the guy that publishes Bibles and leaves them in, you know, hotels? Yeah, yeah probably. But he's a guy in the, in the Old Testament. And um, I, I wrote a book. Re- are you guys aware I wrote a book recently? Yeah, okay. All right. A couple of you are reading it, and that's great. And I hope you read it. I hope all of you read it, really, honestly. And... I hope you give it to somebody who's kind of far from faith. Uh, might might help them. But anyway, one of the chapters is a chapter called Calling. Calling. And so what I want to do today, I'm not going to preach from the chapter necessarily. I want to take the story of Gideon that I kind of start the chapter with. And I want to expand it in some lessons on the calling of God. Because Gideon is a guy that was used by God to do something significant really in spite of himself. In spite of himself. And what, what I want to do today... More than anything else, I want to give you some encouragement. I want to encourage you that no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what gifts and talents that you have or think that you don't have, that or, or, or where you've been or what you've done, that God has important things that He wants to do through you to expand His kingdom. And I mean that. It's not just words. It's not just words. Because God has bundled up so much inside of each one of us. And what blocks it from coming out and being used by God in whatever way He wants to use you, oftentimes are the thoughts that we think about ourselves. And how little respect or uh, authority we put in who God is and what He's capable of doing through people like you and I. And so this will be a success today if at the end of the message you're inspired to dream big dreams for God and step forward in whatever arena that God has planted you in. So I want to take a look at the story of uh, Gideon. I probably won't sweat too much unless it's not going well. Uh, But what, what I want to do is I want to talk about how to respond when God calls your number. The calling of God, how to respond. I've got three thoughts that kind of build on each other 
And let's start with the first one. The first one is this. God wants to do something significant through you. God wants to do something significant through you. Story of Gideon, God had something that he needed done and someone needed to do it. And so he called Gideon. And as I read the story, I'm, I think, you know, it just wasn't a big deal for God to use Gideon. It really wasn't. God created Gideon. He knew who Gideon was. In fact, we'll find out that he knew Gideon better than Gideon knew himself. It wasn't a big deal for God to use Gideon. But God has to spend most of his time convincing and selling Gideon on the fact that he hadn't made a mistake when he called him. And I think a lot of us feel like God has made a mistake when he's called us to do certain things. And God wanted to do something significant through Gideon. I firmly believe that God wants to do something significant through each one of us in this building and at the campuses or wherever you happen to be. He wants to do something significant through us in order to expand what he's doing in the world and his kingdom. Here's a thought along those lines. My own life, the life of people that I've talked to over the years and as I read Bible stories, significant breakthrough usually comes during times of uncomfortable pain. Would you agree with that? I mean, incremental progress can happen anytime. But significant breakthroughs, when something just breaks, oftentimes it's accompanied or it's during times or it's motivated by times of significant or uncomfortable pain. And that's true for Gideon. Just to give you a little background, Gideon had been miserable for at least seven years. An enemy named Midian was making life miserable for God's people, Israel. Let's give you some background on, on that whole story and where, where they're at. You remember last week, if you were here, we talked just a little bit about the fact that God had given Abraham a promise. He said, I'm going to give you a land. It's going to be for your people forever. And uh, then Moses leads the people of Israel right up to the gates of the promised land. And then he dies. And Joshua is the one that takes him through and he begins conquering the land. And during the time of Joshua, things went well for Israel. Uh, battles went well by and large because Joshua followed God. He followed God with his whole heart. And, uh, but when Joshua died and when all of the people that were kind of his cronies, the people during his time died, the Bible says that Israel ceased to follow God. And then there's this whole line of kings where when uh, there's kind of this cyclical thing that when a king follows God, then the Israel does well. And when they don't follow God, it doesn't do well. And there are more kings that don't follow God than there are that do follow God. And during the time of Gideon, they weren't following God. The judges, uh, it, just, it just was a bad time. And, and so Israel has been sinning. They turned to false gods. And so God turns His children, His people, the people that He loves, over to a powerful enemy that makes them miserable. You say, how can a loving God do that? How can a loving God, if you read the story, turn His people over to an, an enemy that, here's what they were doing. They were stealing all their food. They would come in in raiding parties and they'd steal all their food. And then that that they couldn't carry away, they'd burn. So the Israel, uh, Israelites are living in caves, Uh, They can't feed their kids. It's a terrible, terrible time. Why would God do that? We say here often that God loves you just the way you are. But He loves you too much to let you stay that way. And with Israel, that's the case too. 
God loved them right where they were, but if He lets them do their own thing and stay that way, they are going to self-destruct and implode at some point. And so the thing that motivates change and breakthrough is pain. When it's more painful where I am than the fear of where I need to be, I'll make a change. And so God allows Midian to just make them miserable. And finally, Israel cries out to God in repentance And God turns to an unusual character. Somebody nobody else would have chosen. His name is Gideon. Let's look at the story. Then the angel of the Lord, Judges 6, 11, came and sat beneath the oak tree at Ophrah. That's where Ophrah is from. Actually, it's not. It's, It's dumb. Starting to sweat a little bit. So the angel of the Lord sat beneath the oak tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abiah, somebody. (laughs) Gideon, son of Joash, had been threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, mighty warrior, Gideon looks around and goes, is there an echo in here? I mean, who's that? That's not me. I'm a scared farmer. I'm not a mighty warrior. Mighty warrior, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, replied Gideon, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Have you ever felt like that? God, where are you? If you are with me, why is this stuff going on? It's exactly how Gideon felt. God, if you're really with us, why why so much junk going on? I mean, where are all the miracles that our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? You know what? Sometimes when we are miserable and frustrated, God has us exactly where we need to be to start the process of breakthrough in us. And that's good news for some of you. Honestly, some of you are miserable right now. You're frustrated. Things aren't working. Things aren't going the way that you think that they should. You're in a great place for a breakthrough. God may have you right where He wants you. And sometimes we have more questions than answers. And when you read this story, God doesn't even spend a whole lot of... In fact, He doesn't answer any of Gideon's questions. Which is a principle. We live by God's promises, not by His answers. Okay, when we got questions, God, why aren't you answering this? We need to look at a promise. God gives us promises he doesn't necessarily promise to answer all of our questions. He doesn't answer any of Gideon's questions. He just says, as we're going to find in a few minutes, he says, go, go do something about it. Go in the power that I have given you. Significant breakthrough often comes during times of uncomfortable pain. I thought about that. I thought about the starting of this church. Why do we, why do we start Seacoast Church? Um... As I kind of dialed back in my life this week as I was kind of thinking about that, it began, the idea began in uncomfortable pain. I was living in Fort Collins, Colorado and working for Hewlett Packard Company. It had some painful events in my life, to be honest with you. Some very, very painful events. And, um, and, and so I'm, I'm working at Hewlett Packard Company not knowing, God, why am I here? We ever use me? Those types of thoughts. And um, a couple that we were working with, 
uh, who were far from God. They were Catholic background, grew up in New York, moved to Colorado to work at HP. And uh, we befriended them, and they had a baby, and the baby had some problems, and within a month or two, the baby died. And Debbie and I kind of just stepped in, loved on them a little bit. During that time, we went through a uh, kind of a, uh, we started working in a church, a little church. We were part-time youth pastor. In fact, we were on a part-time salary, but they asked us to do it full-time. And so I quit Hewlett Packard, which we had a great job, went to work for the church. And a few weeks later, our friends called and said, hey, show us what you do there. So they came over, and it was a small church, but we built a new building, and so I gave them a little tour around. As we were going through the tour, we came to the baptistry area. Now, in our church here, we have a baptistry as the Atlantic Ocean. Also, we have one just outside the windows here where we do, where we baptize people. And a lot of churches uh, that are of kind of the tradition that we are, they have a baptistry in the church. Sometimes it's up behind the kind of the pulpit area up high where you can kind of see it. And that's how it was in that church. And so I was leading them in a backstage kind of look at that thing. And, and they both looked at it and said, what is a swimming pool doing inside of a church? Because their deal was, you know, you sprinkle the baby. And so I kind of explained that whole thing. And when I explained why we baptize and when we baptize and all that, they, they kind of broke down because it hit a nerve inside of them. And, uh, what I found out was the thing that was just tearing them apart was the fact that their baby had not been baptized because they had been far from the church. And they had no idea what was going to happen to that baby. And through that opening, kind of that little conversation, we were able to have deeper conversations and led them to a, a point of understanding God's grace for them and faith in Jesus Christ. And so the next thing they asked is, well, could we come to church with you? And at that point, I'm thinking... No. <laughs> Our church is not set up for people like you. Our church is set up for people that have been in church all their life and small church and it's all about us. And I had a thousand thoughts that went through my mind. I'd never really thought about it before. But I'm in this painful circumstance of going, oh, you probably ought to go to another church, you know. And at that moment, at that moment, and I didn't know another church they could go to that was really kind of geared toward caring for them i thought you know in in that moment of pain their pain and my pain i couldn't even verbalize it but i thought if i could be a part of someday a church where it's where it's about jesus and it's about people that jesus loves and it's not even so much about what we do in here on the weekend it's about what we do during the week and caring for our our community and caring for people who are far from god and providing a place where they can come and they can grow and they can learn to love one another. I want to be a part of that. And so in that moment of pain, there was a breakthrough that then it took, you know, probably 15 years from that day for there to be birthed a church, but it came out of moments of pain of saying, God, this is not right. Maybe I could be a part of the process of doing something different. I've heard that same story in many of you. I've heard it in groups of people. We call them missional communities, which is a community of believers trying to live on mission together, live the mission of Jesus together, who have kind of similar kind of bents or thoughts. And I, I, I've seen it in missional communities of men and women whose hearts are broken by things like sex trafficking. You know, thinking about people who 
against their will are held and abused and just we many of us just want to close our ears and eyes to it and these are people whose hearts are broken by this kind of thing and they see it as not just being you know a them issue or maybe far off somewhere in another country but here it is right here in the low country or Colombia or wherever you happen to be and they go this is not right god i want to be a part of doing something about it I've, I've seen it in um, groups of uh, couples that have wanted to adopt children and they've gone through the whole process and maybe it's taken a lot longer and a lot more difficult than they thought it would be and there's just a sense of pain and they've kind of backed up into kind of a bigger picture and they've said it's more than about the child that we're adopting. Maybe there's a whole orphan thing that really needs to be addressed and so that you've got communities of people coming together saying, God, this is not Right? Help me to be a part of the solution. I want to do something about it. I've uh, seen it in doctors and nurses and medical people and just people with a bent toward mercy who realize that there are people that have a hard time getting medical care. And they go, you know, it's so easy for me to just walk in, make a doctor's appointment, get the best care possible. But there are people as close as right across the bridge in North Charleston, South Carolina, who can't. So I want to volunteer and make a difference. God, this just breaks my heart. Or or I want to go to Uganda or uh, Kenya or Nicaragua and various places where medical teams have gone. And it begins with just this sense of pain that something isn't right. And God, I'd like to be a part of the solution. I, I, I heard it recently in a single adult that went to a nursing care facility to, to visit uh, a, a relative, I think. And as they, they went in to visit, they saw... Groups of people that look so lonely. They ask the staff, how often do people visit? They say, well, some people people visit regularly, but there are others here that they almost never get a visit. And, and they just thought about that. And they thought, God, that's not right. And rather than pointing fingers, they said, help me to be a part of the solution. And I believe that there are breakthroughs that are coming. God wants to do something significant through you. And it usually starts with some level of discomfort. That's my first thought. Let me give you a second thought about Gideon and that whole process of God's calling in our lives. There will always be reasons why you can't respond. There will always be reasons when God calls why you can't respond. Gideon thought he was the least likely to be used by God. I love this verse, verse 14 and 15. It says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Okay, go with the strength. This is after all these questions. Angel comes to me, mighty warrior, hero, God is with you. If God's with me, why is all this junk happening? I feel terrible. He just kind of vomits out to God, which God kind of ignores. He says, go go with the strength that I've given you. You do it. I want you to rescue Israel from the Midianites. Midianites, I'm sending you. He's not rescuing them from the Mennonites. It's the Midianites. The Mennonites are good people. Okay? They, you don't need to be rescued from them. They're good people. From the Midianites. Okay, he's going, me? I mean, how can I do that? I'm just a little me and I'm totally insignificant. In fact, he says, Lord, how can I do it? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I'm the least in my entire family. You ever felt like that? You know, God says mighty warrior in Gideon's social circles. He wasn't a hero. He was a zero. And he points that out to God. God, hey, you got something wrong here. 
My family, you know, the whole tribe wishes that they weren't, my family wasn't in the tribe. And then I'm the gum on the bottom of the shoe of my family. I'm just not your man, God. You made a mistake here. I can just hear God going, oh man, I forgot to check, do the background checks on that one. I must have swing and a mess, you know. No, God didn't do that. God's omniscient. He knows. You may feel like that. You may feel like right now, I can't make anything go right. I'm struggling in a tough economy just to put food on the table. I'm just trying to survive. It's really not a great time to be thinking about being used by God to do something significant. I'm wondering where God is in my situation. You know what? This wasn't a particularly good time for Gideon either. It says... Interestingly, it says that he was uh, he was threshing wheat in a wine press. That doesn't compute. You have no idea what that means. That that doesn't. That, there's no cross cultural kind of a deal. I I went to I, I didn't know. I went to Israel a few months ago. Life changing trip. I'm going back um, the week after Easter. I'd like to take as many of you with me. Um, I get no personal enrichment from this. Uh, just want you to come, okay? Because I want you to see it. And when I was in Israel. Um, I met a guy named Menachem who was a uh, Orthodox Jew and he had a community. Uh, and his whole purpose in life was to demonstrate what first century Jewish life was to people like me who've never seen it. And I'd love to take some people to go visit Menachem. We were there for, I, I think, about three or four hours with him and he showed us all kinds of things. They, they live life like they did in the first century. And one of the things that he did is he showed us how you thresh wheat. And what they would do is they did it all by hand. They would grow their own wheat, then they'd go out and they'd cut it down, and they'd bring it into a wide open space. And we were there in this wide open space. And they, you, got, you got a pile of this stuff, and then they take, like, uh, you know, handmade tools, and they beat on it so that the kernels of wheat will separate from the stalk, from the straw. They're just, just uh, beaten on it. Then they take all of it together, and they throw it up in the air, Okay. So it has to be a big wide open space. So the wind comes and it blows the, the stalks away and the heavier grain drops to the ground. Then they gather up the grain and they put it into a hand mill. And we did some of that too. And then they crush it up and then they uh, uh, take some of the goat's milk and some of the stuff there and they make patties and you make bread. We made our own bread that day. It was kind of, kind of fun. Uh, but so... So that, that's kind of how, how that works. A wine press, on the other hand, I saw wine presses, and they're kind of hewed out of stone. They're small. They're down deep in, in a deal, and it's kind of a pit. And it might be round. It might be square. But you put the grapes in there, and then you mash it down either by walking on it or having utensils that you do it with. To, to um, thresh wheat in a wine press would be totally inefficient terrible way of doing it there's no breeze to blow it makes the work even harder but Gideon is there because the Midianites if they saw him out threshing wheat they're going to steal it all so he's afraid he's in a wine press he's afraid of having his food stolen of being killed of losing everything he's in a wine press threshing wheat to keep what little he can I thought some of us maybe you can relate maybe you feel like right now you're in a wine press you're just trying to keep your job You're just trying to keep the supply for your family. You're afraid of not being able to provide. You go to bed at night and you think about that. How can I provide? Will I be able to continue to provide? And if an angel of the Lord came to you, you could relate. You'd feel more like a zero than a hero. But I tell you, you'd be wrong. 
So how do, how do you change how do you change the mindset on that? What what happened to Gideon? How did he go from okay, this is what I am, lots of questions, God, where are you? I feel like nothing to this guy who we're going to read leads one of the most significant battles that Israel has up to that point. How do you go? This is so important. If you're going to have a breakthrough, you've got to stop focusing on what you think you are and start focusing on who God says that you are. Did you get that? You've got to stop focusing on what you think you are and start focusing on what God says you are. See, God not only knows who you are better than... God knew Gideon better than he knew himself, but God knows who he is. And he knows what he's capable of doing, and he knows what he's capable of doing through you. Judges 6 and verse 16. The Lord answered to Gideon when Gideon says, you know, I'm just, I'm just basically dirt, you know. I mean, I'm not presidential, I'm not kingly, I'm not anything. And God says, I will be with you. And you will strike down all of the Midianites together. That's a crazy statement. It's just crazy. Gideon. Seven years, we've been oppressed. Me? God says, you. Because I'm capable of doing more through you than you could ever ask or imagine. You're going to have to see yourself as I see you. See, God was there when Gideon was born. When his mother gave birth to him in a tent or in a small hut or maybe in a city, God was there. In fact, God knew him according to the psalmist while he was still in the womb. He called him. He gave him the gifts. He even commanded that he be born at that time in history because he had work to do through him. Is that just Gideon? Or is that Greg? Is that you? Is it possible that God knows more about you than you know about yourself? You know, let's take a look at the Word and see what God says about you. In John 1 and verse 12 it says, but to all who believe him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. This is not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan. This rebirth comes from God. Here's what that says. That says that if you have believed on Jesus Christ, if you've received him as your Savior, that's why at the end of every service I say to you, come on now. This might be your week. You need to do it. You need to receive Jesus. He says, if you believe, guess what? You are now, you have the right to become a son of God. You are a child of God. And then Matthew 6 and verse 26 says how valuable you are to him. It says, look at the birds. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in the barns because your heavenly father feeds them. And you are more valuable to him than they are. Jesus is teaching His disciples and He knows that God wants to do something significant through each one of them, but they've got to get through this mindset that they are nothing. That they are nothing. He says, you're more valuable. I want you to look at the birds. God takes care of them and you are more valuable than they ever were. Ephesians 2.10, I want you to read this one together. Can we read it together out loud? For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us 
long ago. Who's God's masterpiece? Turn to your neighbor and say, you are God's masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece. God created you before the foundations of the earth. He knew the good works that He wanted you to do. He gave you the gifts, you the abilities. He caused you to be born at this time because He has good works. His kingdom, His kingdom needs you to advance. There are things that He has specifically for you to do. You have to believe it. You are the evidence that God is at work. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 26 says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. In other words, everybody's good for something, even if it's just to be a bad example. Okay? <laughs> God said... God said, you know, you, you weren't the type of people people really wanted in their church. You weren't necessarily the kind of person that everybody looked at and said, I want them in my club. He said, that's okay. That's okay. Because I want to show my strength through you. And He chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing that that the world considers important so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. There's so many things God says about you. Let me give you one more. Let me give you one more. Philippians 4.13, I want you to read it out loud. For I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. Let's read it one more time. Let's do this. Why don't you read it like it's about you and you believe it? Okay? Let's try that. For I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. You are capable of more than you think you are. So before you say no to a big old hairy audacious idea that God prompts you with, make a commitment to focusing on who God says you are. Let me give you one more thought. God wants to do something significant through you. There are all kinds of reasons that you're going to want to say no. The third thought is this. It doesn't take much to make a big difference. It doesn't take much to make a big difference. Gideon had very few people. In fact, he had recruited 32,000 men, farmers, to face 135,000 Midianites. Not good odds, but at least he had a little crowd. So he's ready to go. He gathers them together. This is what we're going to do. And then he gets nervous. Have you ever done that? You said, okay, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to go for it. We're ready. Let's do it. And the night before you do it, it's like, oh, have I heard God? Or is that just bad burritos? That's, that's exactly what happened to Gideon. So Gideon, Gideon takes a minute to figure out, did God really speak to me or not? So he does a fleece. People have often asked me, is it okay to offer a fleece before the Lord? I'm going to answer that today. What was a fleece? A fleece was actually... Um, wool from uh, a, a a lamb and it's a specific situation for Gideon it's like this I happen to have a fleece with me right here okay here's a fleece it looks kind of like a bathroom mat but it's a fleece okay let's pretend like this is wool okay this is wool you got that so Gideon goes God I don't want to I don't want you get getting mad at me but I gotta know it's you I gotta know it's not a bad uh 
Well, what did they eat back then? They didn't eat burrito. What, what, what would they eat in his? A pita, a bad pita, okay, or whatever. Mediterranean, it's a uh, it's, uh, um, gyro, a bad gyro, had a bad gyro, okay. So anyway, he says, God, here's a fleece. I'm going to throw it on the ground. Here's what I want to happen. If it's really you, then tomorrow morning the ground is going to be dry all the way around this fleece, and the fleece is going to be wet. Then we'll know it's you. So they go to bed. They come back the next day. Ground's totally dry. He picks up the fleece, and it's soaking wet, and he wrings it out. That's kind of like my house. Debbie goes, this is outside the shower. I want everything else to be dry, okay? And uh, it's the will of Debbie, okay? So anyway, so God's in it. So he goes, yeah, we're going to do it. It's God. But he has another doubt. God, can we do this again? Here's what we're going to do. That may have been an accident. This time what we're going to do is the ground is going to be muddy and wet, and this is going to be dry. And then I will really know it's God. And so the next day he gets up. And sure enough, it's all muddy, but this is dry. So should you do that? Before you do what you think God wants you to do, should you say, God, I want you to do something really bizarre? <laughs> and you come up with a bizarre thing. No, you shouldn't. And let me tell you why. Because you have two things that Gideon didn't have. Do you know what two things you have that Gideon didn't have? Think about this. What do you have? You have God's Word. You have the written Word of God. So the first thing you do is you go, I've got this idea. You line it up to the written Word of God. Does this violate God's Word? Is this consistent with who God is and consistent with who He's made me to be? You may need to bring some people inside to kind of help you. I need wise counsel. Bible says that plans go well because of wise counsel. And if you're just kind of off on your own, I don't want to hear from anybody else. I've heard God. You're probably headed for trouble. So you get people around you and you search the Scriptures. Second thing you have is the Holy Spirit inside of you. He didn't have that. The Holy Spirit prompts us. And so, and, and, and so, and so Gideon gets God's Word and he's ready to go with his, you know, 32,000 people against four times as many warriors. And God says, no, you got too many. This is really strange. The Lord God said to Gideon, you've got too many people with you. Gideon's like, we're outnumbered four to one. God says, if I let, you, if I let all of you fight the Midianites, Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. God wants all the glory. And so he pairs it down. And here's, here's the principle there. Don't be surprised if when you feel like you're following God, you're going to start a new group, you're going to start a ministry, you're going to start a church, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to follow God and whatever it happens to be, your family's going to do this, whatever it happens to be. Don't be surprised if you have what I call a Gideon revival right after you've recruited a team to change your world project. I remember when we started Seacoast Church, we had a team and no sooner did we start that the team started dwindling. That was discouraging. I remember when our only guitar player said to me, I'm not going to do this anymore. He was a friend of mine. Do you know what? God, God sometimes allows that so that he will get the glory. Don't get your eyes on people. Don't get your eyes on yourself. Get your eyes on who God is and what he is capable of doing. He wants to prove to you that it doesn't matter how many chariots the other guy has when God's on your side. I thought that was pretty good. I wrote it in the book, actually. I thought it was pretty good. But you guys just let that go right by. Okay. Doesn't take very much or many, very many to make a difference. 
And so these few people, these few people circle the Midian camp, 300 people, and at just the right time, here was God's plan. God's plans are usually just really funny sometimes. He said, right at the right time, right in the middle of the night, I want you to make a bunch of noise. And so they make a bunch of noise, middle of the night. Enemy gets so confused, they start fighting each other, and God won a great victory. Principle is it just takes a few people making a lot of noise to have a major breakthrough. How do you know that? You say, well, that sounds good, but you know what, Greg? I don't really have a big vision. I'm not a big vision kind of person. I know you are, or other people are. I don't really have it. What I, I just, I don't know. And here's what I want to say to you. You don't have to have a big vision. Join somebody else's vision. Because God wants to do something significant through you. Don't underestimate what a small contribution can make to the kingdom of God. Let me give you one story. His name was Jim. Hers was Barb. They weren't really big picture kind of people. Um, they were part of a small church. pastor had a big vision. And they decided, you know what? Let's kind of inventory our gifts and let's see what we could do to be a part of, you know, reaching out to our community. They decided that what we do is kind of hospitality. That's just, you know, we, we can open up our home. We like to invite people over and have a good time. We're not really Bible study leaders or anything like that. And so they decided what we're going to do is we're going to, we remember how rough it was for us when we first came into a church where we didn't know anybody. Let's see if we just can't use our hospitality to make people feel comfortable when they come into our church. And so one night a guy wandered into their church on a Sunday night by himself. And here's what they didn't know about the guy that wandered in. He was burned out. He was burned out on church. He had been in a really bad situation where Christians didn't act like Christians. Kind of like Gandhi. Gandhi said, I like your Jesus. It's your Christians I have a problem with. And he had, he'd kind of gone there and had some things happen, some things that he was ashamed of, made mistakes. And he was on his way to turning his back on God, on the church, on everything. Brand new to town. His wife was working that night, so he, he was bored to know what to do. He started driving around and he pulled into a church parking lot on a Sunday night. Didn't know why. During the meet and greet time, Jim and Barb did what they'd done many, many times before. They got out their checkbook and they tore off a deposit slip and they wrote a little note on the deposit slip and circled their telephone number. Handed it to this guy, inviting him to their house later that week, maybe for some food and games. They seemed nice enough and so the guy talked to his wife, went home, decided they had nothing to lose, new in town, needed friends. And so they went, played some games, developed a friendship. Jim and Barb introduced them to some others in the church and then they noticed that Jim and Barb kind of slowly faded to the background to repeat their small, insignificant area of ministry, which was making lonely newcomers feel welcome. Over time, the lonely guy and his wife began to trust again. They renewed their passion for God. And ultimately, they themselves found that significant place of service. And for them... It was moving to Charleston, South Carolina and planning a church called Seacoast to reach people who were far from God like they were at one point. I want to tell you something. I'm glad Jim and Barb didn't reject God's call to be used by Him. I'm glad they didn't find a reason not to do something. 
And I'm glad they realized that it doesn't take much to make a big difference. You never know. You just never know. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace in our lives. I thank you for stories like Gideon's where you use ordinary people just like me and everybody else in this place. God, I just pray that we would uh, take the next few minutes to just look deep inside and then look to you and say yes to whatever your plan is for our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.